Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of year where we can celebrate that you are the God who is with us. And you proved it by coming, living, dying, resurrecting and ascending so that we might have the abundant life you've called us to. And Lord, we pray that you would take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I made a turn in my Santa wish list in 1971. I went from toys to cool stuff. To my letter to Santa that year, I asked for a Baltimore Orioles batting helmet. The Washington Senators had bolted to become the Texas Rangers. And as a Washingtonian, I had nowhere to go. If you can't, if you can't beat them, you join them. Orioles. So I asked Santa for a shiny new Orioles batting helmet. Now, it was that time that a number of my friends no longer believed in Santa. And I thought to myself, well, who puts the presents under the tree? And who eats all the cookies, right? And so I was vindicated when I came down the stairs because my batting helmet was there and mom didn't even know who the Baltimore Orioles were. But then I opened one particular gift. It was allegedly from Santa. And I looked in it. Now, my sister's 10 years older than me. My brother's three years older than me. And they're no longer believers. I'm all in. My friends were calling me a baby for believing. And I opened up this one particular gift that was supposed to be from Santa. I looked under the box and it said, Toys are us. I looked at mom. Toys are us. Elves didn't make this. So she had an elaborate explanation while laughing the whole time. My, my older brother and sister just were dying laughing. My dad's going, you know, and I'm turning beet red. But after a while, I, I didn't mind. Because for me, it wasn't that Santa didn't exist. It was that Santa wasn't who I thought he was. He was better. For me, it was just that when he was fully revealed, it was Wes and Ann Sherman. Many of us can remember a time when someone had told us God didn't exist. Maybe they made us to feel foolish. I can't see him. I don't experience him. What good does he do? Why believe in such a silly ancient belief? Well, did we believe that belief because we really thought it through? Or because it went out of vogue in the culture. Didn't want to appear foolish or out of step. Well, tonight we're going to look at the meaning of what it's all about in John's first letter. And I want to say welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Christ Church West Shore. And especially to those of you who we haven't seen in a while. We're so glad you're here. Welcome home. We're so glad to see you. And tonight, my job is simply to supplement all the beauty and put a finer point on the stories. And one of the reasons I want to park on this particular verse is because it's a very non-traditional Christmas reading. There's no angels, no shepherds, no baby Jesus, no star, no Bethlehem. Because 1 John is an eyewitness account. 
And I think it's very easy for an evening like tonight to treat Christmas like a cup of hot, spiritual, warm cocoa. Long on sentiment and short on life-changing truth, which after all is what Christmas is all about. So I invite you to turn with me to your Bibles, if you have it on your device. It's an ESV app on your phones. You can look at it in uh, 1 John chapter 1. Because what John is saying here is that it's number one, it's a historical event. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. He describes Jesus as the word. He did that in his biography of Jesus. Chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, here he calls Jesus the word of life. In verse 2, it says that life was with the Father from beginning. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testified to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So John is saying here that Jesus Christ, not that he has life or gives life. This is not just physical. This is eternal life. This is salvation. John is saying he is life. Here's one of the first things we can always say that makes Christianity different than any other worldview or religion. Every other founder says, here's the way to find eternal life. You do this, you do that, and then you'll be okay with the divine. You'll connect with the divine. You'll become one with God or you'll be saved. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. Christianity does not say Jesus was a great prophet pointing the way to God and how we can save ourselves. Jesus Christ, according to Christmas, is God come to save us, to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And to know him is life. Over the years I've had people say to me where I hang out, uh, Gene, you can't prove it. You can't see him. You don't experience him. It makes no difference in my life. I tried it. It didn't work. And to that I say, well, you can't see the wind, but it's real, especially yesterday. You can't see radio waves, but you turn on your radio. Every summer I listen to Tom Hamilton in the Guardian's broadcast. He's the best in the business. I got proof of that. No, it's a historical claim, first of all. And that's what John is making here. Do you believe in Abraham Lincoln? Why? Historical records. People wrote about him, what he said, who saw him, who could touch him, know him. Just keep going back in any figure in history. George Washington. Alexander the Great. Caesar Augustus, we heard in Luke 2, where Jesus was born. How do we know these people existed? Well, historical records. And John here is saying, we saw him, our eyes have seen him, our ears, we've touched him with our hands. Why is he being so emphatic? Bob Yarborough, the great New Testament scholar of ancient history, says when you look at these terms that he's using here, the variety of verbs corresponds to the variety of witness attestation in ancient jurisprudence. In other words, when John writes, when we have seen it and we testify to it, 
When he's speaking of hearing, seeing, touching, he's not just making conversation. He's swearing a deposition. What he's trying to tell us is it's not just a nice story about Jesus. It really happened. They really saw him. He really lived. He really rose from the dead because he really died. He really is God with us tonight. God himself. He's not just a wonderful teacher. He is God with us. Honestly, if Christmas is just a nice legend, you're on your own. If Christmas is true, and John is saying it's true, swearing a deposition, you can trust this account. Therefore, number two, it's a story to be told. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The message is to be proclaimed. The message throughout the Bible is that this salvation that is life is one that we obtain through his sheer grace. Not something we have to earn our own strength. Not because you're on Santa's nice list. I was never on the nice list until Christmas morning. You can know that you're saved just by trusting in his work for you. Receiving him and you're accepted. And the good news is not merely just that. It's far greater. It's all about the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, born in a manger, lived the perfect life on our behalf, died the death that we should have died by the hands of Pontius Pilate, was buried, resurrected, and ascended. That Jesus is now Lord of the universe. And he is summoning each and every one of us to live under his lordship by his grace. So we repent and believe, and thus we're saved. And it's a gift that's offered to be opened. And as we receive that gift, John says we have fellowship with God the Father and his Son. Fellowship, that's we do life together. In other words, the beauty of Christmas, the incarnation is about fellowship. The presence of God in our lives. And we're being told here by John, it's not just enough to believe in him, we're just to obey him. Christmas means God has gone to infinite lengths to come near us. To have a personal relationship with us. So that he can know each and every one of us personally. And we can know him. God is not content simply to be a concept to be believed in your life. Or an idea of your creation that warms your heart. He's the filter by which we can know and experience God. We can't look directly in the sun. We need a filter to look at those beautiful sun images. And Jesus Christ is the filter by which we see and experience God. We sang about that right before the sermon. In Charles Wesley's beautiful Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we sang, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Please with us, to, with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Because God has become a human being, we can see his glory in a way that would utter, otherwise overwhelm us, literally. That's what God told Moses. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. God said, it'll kill you. You can't see my glory. But yet Jesus came, and John writes of this Jesus, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
beautiful. When you see the story of Jesus, when you read his gospels, you see God in human form. He's our filter to see God. You see his love. You see his humility. You see his compassion. You see his wisdom. We can come near to him intellectually. Relate to him. Read about him in human form. And that's many people's experiences as they do so. They don't know much about Jesus and they start to read John, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And all of a sudden he becomes someone we can understand. He becomes palpable practically. So think about this. If God went to infinite lengths to get to near us, to get close to us, so that we can know him personally... He lost his glory. He lost his life. We should be willing to go to great lengths to get close to him. Have you ever read one of the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? He loves to take your questions. Take them to him. Christmas means God wants to be near and get close to you. And if you want to get close to him... You might have to change a few things. You have to put in some time. But the incarnation, when we believe it, he becomes the center of our lives. And as he becomes the center of our lives, recognizing that he went to infinite lengths to get close to us, we do what it takes to get close to him. Might need to make a change. And Christmas is a challenge to each and every one of us in that respect, isn't it? But as we do that, as we surrender all of our lives to him because of his great love for us, we surrender as Jesus Christ as Lord. John doesn't stop there. He gives us a third point tonight, which we can all carry out of here as we sing joy to the world. Because we're going to sing it. Verse 4, when you surrender to Jesus this way, he brings joy to your life. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. As people believe in Christ, our joy is complete. As we have fellowship with God, we become a joyful people. And when we walk with Jesus, it's noticed. Last night, Kim and I got to watch the 1970 Albert Finney Scrooge. It's my favorite. We try to watch it before Christmas and we finally got around to it. The thing that I noticed because I was working on this message was the joy of the Cratchit family. They had absolutely nothing. Their goose was sparse. But to them, it was like this grand roast. And they had such joy. In the devotion that we've been reading this Advent this morning, you know, Jared Wilson makes that point. that He believes that's when Ebenezer Scrooge started to change. Because for the Cratchit family, it wasn't about the materialism. It was about the joy of being together as they celebrate God with us. Because that's what happens when you walk with Christ. We have unsurpassed resources to live life. We all need lives with meaning, satisfaction, freedom, identity, forgiveness, both given and received, the resolution of moral questions and a hope for tomorrow. And in Jesus Christ, we have those resources. We have a meaning in life that suffering can't take away but can even deepen. 
A satisfaction that isn't based on our circumstances. A freedom that doesn't reduce community and relationships to transactional relationships. An identity that isn't fragile or based on performance or excludes others. A way to deal both with guilt and forgiveness of others without residual bitterness or shame. A basis for seeking justice that does not turn us into oppressors ourselves. An explanation for the senses of transcendent beauty and love that we often experience. And a way to face not only the future, but my death with poise and peace. A life of joy. Now, no one's perfect in those, right? But as you walk with Christ, you grow in these. And we're, we're saved by grace and we're sanctified. It means set apart. We grow in that grace. Because there's no perfect people here. Right? Me being among them. Chief, least perfect. In my house in Fairfax, Virginia, that my mom and dad had the privilege to build, the basement was always dry and cool. It could be 99 degrees outside, and I could go down to the basement, and I could throw a tennis off the ball off the wall and play a full nine-inning game, all in my head. One time it was pouring rain outside, and you could literally hear the water running around the footers of the house. But inside, it's dry as a bone, and it's cool. And my dad, as he often would, he would hear me throwing the ball upstairs, throwing the ball against the wall, and he would come down and say, hi, how you doing? And I said, dad, listen, we got a, a river underneath the house. And he said, yeah, we do, but it's a well-built house, and it's always dry. See, if we believe this story, if we believe it with all our heart, trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, there'll be a river of joy that will always be there keeping you cool when the circumstances of your life are hot and parched. Think of it this way. Until Christmas, here was the ideal and here's the real. The ideal, heaven, peace, Eternity, immortality, the real, brokenness, limitation, suffering, death. And in between, the ideal and the real is a concrete slab called reality. At Christmas time, God punched a hole in that concrete slab and the ideal became real. The ideal came down into our lives and into our world and changed everything. And he will change everything eventually forever. That can be a river of joy in your life that can keep you cool and keep you going every, when everything else is not going so well. It happened. It's a story to be told and it gives us unsurpassed resources for a life of joy. Perhaps as you've been listening to this, that doesn't describe you and you want that. So we're going to close in prayer. And as we do every, every Christmas and Easter, we, we pray a prayer of recommitment. Or perhaps commitment for the first time. 
I invite you to join with me and just say amen at the end. And start off strong as we walk with Christ together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you that we don't just have to feel good at Christmas in a general way that wears off on the 26th. We can think about what this day really means, which was worth celebrating for 12 days. And it can be a river of joy throughout the year. Lord, we confess that we are rebels to the core. We run our lives our own way without a thought of you. We presume on your grace, excusing it as permissiveness. And it's not that we just need to be forgiven for what we do. We need to be forgiven for who we are. Rebels. Sinners. And so, Lord, we come to you this night. Recognizing what Christmas is all about. And that it can be a river of joy. And we give our lives to you to do with as you wish. We ask forgiveness for all of our sins. And we ask that this Christmas you might help us to think of all that this means so that we can have this joy, have this fellowship with you, and have the grace and the love that Christmas points to. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.